Thank you, Laura. Appreciate that. Love Joseph Scriven. I think, wasn't it Joseph Scriven wrote that? That's a good homework assignment, isn't it? Who wrote What a Friend We Have in Jesus? I think it's in your hymnal. Glad you're here this morning, and I want to say a special welcome to our modern service today, and I meant to thank all of our volunteers who took vacation time to go to camp and world changers. We should never minimize, certainly, the adults that give up a week of their time to go and be uh, chaperones on these trips. God bless you. 2 Kings 5.20 today, three steps of greed. The three steps of greed. 2 Kings 5, verse 20, that's page 387. If you want to use a pew Bible, page number 387. We'll look at verse 20 as our springboard verse today. 2 Kings 5, verse 20. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, thought. Well, thinking is a good thing, but sometimes it can lead to bad things. And what he's thinking was a bad thing. He thought, Behold, my master, Elisha, has spared this Naaman the Aramean. Note the disdain in the way that he said it, this Naaman character, by not receiving from his hands what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. Oh, what a shame to let all those Syrian goodies disappear over the sunset, untaken. Little did he know he was tainting the picture of the gospel by taking money in exchange for healing and the gifts of God. Let's pray. Lord, I pray this morning that you'll help us all as your children to stay free from the danger of greed, to control our thinking and make sure our hearts are pure before you all the time. Lord, for we all dwell in jar vessels that have the predisposition to sin and and the old nature, and God, help us to be clean in our hearts, clean in our minds, and put away greed. Bless today, I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. In Luke 12, 15, Jesus said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, because life does not consist in the abundance of things that you possess. Now, greed is considered one of the seven deadly sins. It causes people to do things that those with the same mind would never do. Consider Denise Rossi, R-O-S-S-I. Well, during Denise's 25 years of marriage to Thomas Rossi, they had what could be considered a great marriage. Thomas said, we shared everything, including the same electric toothbrush. (laughs) Hopefully just the handle, not the brushes, right? The bristles. Then one day in early January, 1997, out of the blue, Denise said she wanted a divorce, and she wanted one in a hurry. Thomas wondered, what's going on? Had she met someone? Was she tired of him? Why so suddenly, out of the blue, for no reason at all, did she want a divorce? And why did she want it so quickly? Well, Thomas didn't understand it, could not understand it. One day, however, he went to his mailbox, and he got a piece of mail that said, our company helps lottery winners just like you receive a lump payment for their lotto winnings. Thomas thought, what in the world, lotto winnings? I don't have any lotto winnings. What are they talking about? 
At the divorce proceeding, Judge Richard Dinner said to Mrs. Rossi, before I can grant this divorce, I must first charge you with violating the state's asset disclosure laws. As a result, it's my judgment, Mrs. Rossi, that your husband Thomas be given the entire $1.3 million winnings you recently received in winning the California lottery. And you, Miss Rossi, I'm still quoting, receive nothing, not one penny. Supreme Court Judge Dinner determined that Mrs. Rossi had told other friends she concealed her winnings from her husband because she didn't want her husband getting his hands on her money. Here was a couple that shared the same bathroom, shared the same electric toothbrush, but sadly greed got the best of her and she would reap what she had sown. You know, the Bible's filled with examples of greed and how people suffer from it. God told Joshua, tell the people when Jericho collapsed and the walls come a-tumbling down, do not take any of the spoil of the city, for it all is to go in the Lord's treasury. Sure enough, the walls collapsed. Israelites took the city, and a man named Achan saw a Babylonian robe, 200 shekel bar of silver and a 50 shekel bar of gold. And he saw it, and he coveted it, and he took it, and he hid it. And what did it end up costing him? It cost him his life. Greed. Judas wanted to betray our Lord for 30 pieces of silver. Why would he do that? Greed. Same is true for King Ahab. He coveted Naboth's vineyard. Ahab and Jezebel concocted a plan to have Naboth murdered so Ahab could take possession of the vineyard. In the end, the prophet Elijah said it would cost Ahab his life. Why? Greed. Greed is the selfish desire for something, whether it's possessions or money or power. And there's no better picture of greed in the Bible than the consequences that Elisha's servant Gehazi suffered. He saw this rich Naaman general Naaman offer Elisha, the prophet, what was over $4 million worth of goodies, silver, gold, clothing, in exchange for the healing of leprosy. And Elisha refused payment for that because he did not want to taint the picture of the gospel that was there, but told Naaman, you know, you just wash in the muddy Jordan River seven times, which Naaman did, not gladly, but he did it. And on the seventh dip in the water, he came up, and his flesh was like that of a child And Gehazi watched as Naaman and his $4 million worth of goodies disappeared into the sunset, leaving Gehazi to think, man, what a shame to lose all that. He was offering $4 million for free. Why not at least take a little bit of it? Why let all the Syrian loot go to waste? The Syrians were enemies. Greed took Gehazi on a downhill journey. And it always does. And my prayer is this. By recognizing the three downward steps of greed, we'll be able to avoid them and the destructive consequences they bring. Step number one on the downhill journey of greed is pondering what you don't have. Pondering what you don't have. Verse 20, but Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, thought, oh, he's pondering, he's thinking about it. Behold, my master has spared this Naaman, the Aramean. Note the disdain by not receiving from his hands what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him, and I will take something from him. The key word there is thought. Greed starts with thinking. Gehazi thought. 
man, we should have taken some of that gold and silver. Some of our students could have used those nice changes of clothing. Naaman was an Aramean, a Syrian, a, a captain of the army uh, of, the, of the Syrian army. He was an enemy of Israel. Some of that stuff, why, it might have belonged to the Jews anyway. I bet Naaman stole some of that from the victories he had in Israel where he plundered our people. Well, had Elisha not healed the man, he would have died anyway. Why, it probably hurt his feelings that we didn't take those things from him. You see all this thinking that's going on, the rationalizing of greed. And that's what he was doing. Going through his mind were a thousand reasons it was okay to take some of the goodies that Elisha rejected. And greed will do that to you. It'll help you make you rationalize things you know are wrong. It results in irresponsible behavior. Ask all those pro athletes who one minute were worth millions and millions, and I can list a bunch of them from boxers to football to basketball, but I decided I won't name them. But I'm here to tell you, folks, there's a bunch of them. One minute they were multimillionaires. The next minute they gambled it all away and were bankrupt. Like many others who visit Atlantic City and Vegas, Richard Comet lost $8,000 in a casino. This $8,000 was advanced to him from his credit card from a nearby ATM machine. Now, Comet couldn't repay the credit card debt when, when, he, when he wasted it at the, at the casino. He lost it all. So what did he do? He sued the bank. He sued the bank. New Jersey state law prohibits the, the lending of money for gambling, so Comet's lawyers argued the bank encouraged gambling by locating the ATM machine next to the casino. And would you believe it, at trial, Mr. Comet and his lawyer won, and the credit card debt was forgiven, and I guarantee you that very week the ATM machine was moved. Greed breeds irresponsible behavior, and the sad part is it never results in any lasting joy or satisfaction. Baseball legend Babe Ruth was reported to have lived a very wild life of carousing and drinking and, and, and gambling. Lou Gehrig asked him once, he said, Babe, you got money, you have fame, man, you have everything in the world a person could want. Why is it you never seem satisfied? And Babe Ruth pondered a moment and he answered, he said, there's no such thing as satisfaction. No such thing as being satisfied. Quite a statement from the man whose home runs were not surpassed until Hank Aaron's 714th home run in 1974. The Bible says, He that loves silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance will not be satisfied with its increase. It wasn't naming silver and gold that caused Gehazi to go running after him. It was the fact that he believed his wealth would bring him satisfaction, contentment, happiness. But it doesn't. It never does. He thought and thought, and thought about the silver and designer clothes, and he just could not shake the feeling that, man, we are entitled to that. That should be mine. We should have that. In chapter 6, Elisha and the seminary students are going to be cutting down some wood to try to enlarge their cabin for where the, these prophets live, these preachers. And they'd outgrown the old cabin. And Gehazi probably thought, well, we need the wealth to build a bigger campus. That sounds pretty pious, but the fact was if you look at verse 22, you hear him tell a lie about two students who needed some help. And so Gehazi carried the silver and clothes not to the two students up in, in uh, northern Israel, but he carried it back to his own home. He wanted it for himself and not for others. And friend, there was a reason Elisha the prophet refused taking payment for the healing 
And that was because he did not want to send a message that God's gifts and healing have a price tag which we can pay. If we just have enough money, we can buy the gifts of God. Friend, eternal life is a gift we cannot pay. Divine healing is a gift if God heals that we cannot pay. Taking money from an unbeliever sent the message that God's gifts can be bought and purchased and they cannot be. And that's why Naaman's gifts were rejected by Elisha. In 1969, actor Richard Burton gave his wife Elizabeth Taylor a pear-shaped 69-carat diamond. 69-carat. I don't know how big that is, but probably bigger than a golf ball. That's a big rock. When they divorced in 1979, Taylor auctioned it at uh, an auction for $5 million to build a hospital in Botswana. Elvis Presley bought all of his family, friends, and bodyguards a brand new Cadillac, all of them. Don't you know there was a lot of applications to work for him? Nebuchadnezzar II gave his wife Amidus the hanging gardens of Babylon. All great gifts, but they're not the greatest gift. The greatest gift not only affects you on this side of eternity, it affects you on the other side of eternity. See, Elizabeth Taylor, when she died, she didn't take the diamond with her. Elvis's Cadillacs, some might be running, some might not be running. You don't get to take them with you. But the greatest gift that God gives lasts Forever, it lasts for now, and it lasts beyond death. Jesus paid for this gift with his death on Calvary's cross. And if we try to accept payment and gifts from those who received it, it's as if we're saying what Jesus did is unnecessary. And we can never say that. Or else we deserve the payment and the credit and the benefit for what he did for others. I think about Eve. She listened to the serpent's whispers God's trying to keep something good from you. And she deserved the hidden fruit. She was tempted by greed. Satan tempted Cain into thinking that his vegetables were a whole lot nicer and bigger and better than Abel's sacrifice. He didn't have to do anything but bring it. So why was Abel getting all the praise? Greed was the problem. Greed tempted Ahab and Jezebel to kill Naboth for the vineyard. Greed tempted Balaam to want the money offered by Balak. Greed tempted Korah and his sons to institute a coup against Moses to get power. Greed tempted Saul to throw javelins at David while he was eating his breakfast because of jealousy. Greed tempted David to take Bathsheba and Ananias and Sapphira to tell everyone, yes, we've given all the proceeds from the sale of the land, just like Barnabas. Where are the oohs and the ahs? Greed is what tempts people to buy things they cannot afford. That's a good moment. Let the holy hush just kind of fall, right? I've shared this before, but it's worth repeating. In 1950, did you know the average size house in 1950 was 1,100 square feet? Actually, 900 to 11 square feet. So that would make it more like 1,000 square feet. Two bedrooms, one bath. Family of eight, right? All living in that little house. How in the world did our grandparents do that? Today, the average size house is 2,000 square feet, four bedrooms, two baths. In 1950, less than one-fourth of all single-family homes had a two-car garage, less than a fourth. You know why? Because nobody had two cars. Today, 85% of all single-family homes have a two-car garage. In the 1950s, very few people had air conditioning. Today is, if I'd ask you to raise your hand, if you don't have it, nobody would raise their hand. I'm not going to ask you, but I'm telling you, we all got air conditioning in Florida. In 1950, a family was considered rich if they had one car, not a nice car, a car. 
Today, almost every family has two cars. Many have three cars, and they're all nice. In 1950, it was a big deal to get Jell-O and a hot dog and a Pepsi for lunch. My mom used to tell me what a big deal it was on Friday night. Only once a week could they do it. They got to fry a hamburger and drink a Pepsi. And that was, man, they waited all week on Friday. You know, today for 12 bucks at Starbucks, you get a Starbucks coffee and a scone, and that's not even a big deal, right? 1950, the only appliance in some kitchens was a refrigerator. Most families had an ice box. Milk was left out in the milk box. Remember the milk box? Today we have a refrigerator in the kitchen, we have a refrigerator in the garage, and we have the extra freezer in the garage. In 1950, only the super rich flew in airplanes. And I mean prop stinky airplanes. Today almost everyone flies on jets. Back in 1950, men wore suits and ties to get on a, an airplane. And women wore long dresses. Today it's tank tops and, and uh, spandex. I mean, you know, it's... Different times. I mean, you can't get on a plane anymore. And I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> times are different. People weren't as greedy back in the day. Because you know what? When you don't, you don't know what everybody else has, so if you don't have it, you don't know what you missed. In Luke's gospel, Jesus told about a rich man whose only concern was tearing down his barns to build bigger barns. And the man asked himself, what am I going to do? I have no place for all my crops. Oh, I've got so much. What am I going to do? I just have so much. And Jesus said, thou fool, tonight your soul shall be retired, uh, required of you. Then who's going to own all that you have? Now, there's nothing wrong with nice things. Please hear that. Nothing wrong with nice things. And by the way, for, by world standards, <clears throat> all of us here this morning have nice things. None of us in this building have starved to death, right? If you're alive, you haven't starved to death. But remember, our focus should not be on what we don't have. It shouldn't be our burning passion. Oh, I need that. I don't have that. I want 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 that. No, the downward path starts when we ponder what we don't have instead of appreciate what we do. That's number one. Number two, pretending in order to get it. This is the next step in the downward step, pretending to get it. 21 to 25. So Gehazi pursued Naaman. And by the way, we know he wasn't just walking fast. He's running after him. When Naaman saw one running after him, he came down from his, the chariot to meet him. And he said, what's wrong? What's wrong? Is all well? He's breathing in and out. It's, it's all good. It's all good. My master has sent me. Oh, no. Saying, behold, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Liar, liar, pants on fire. They didn't. Right? And uh, please give them. It's not for me, mind you. It's for them a talent of silver and two changes of clothes. Why, well, he even showed his piety by not asking about the gold. Verse 23. And Naaman said, Be pleased to take two talents. And he urged him. And bound the two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothes. I mean, he actually packed it up for him and, and helped him load it and take it. Helped his two servants with him carry it. Verse 25. But he went in and stood before his master. Elisha said to him, Where have you been, Gehazi? He said, Oh, your servant went nowhere. Didn't go anywhere. Just walking around. That's all. Somebody said greed will always make you a liar. 
In verse 22, Gehazi said, My master hath sent me. Is that true? No, that was a lie. Verse 22, all these goodies, that's not for me, mind you. Was that a lie? Oh, yeah. The two other seminary students that have a great need, having a tough time. They, they need some help. That was lie number two. There were no other seminary students in need. The goodies did not go up to, to the, someone else. They stayed with Gehazi. Gehazi wanted the silver. A talent of silver was 75 pounds of silver. That's 1,200 ounces of silver at $18 an ounce this past week's going rate. You're looking at a gift in silver alone. The silver alone were $21,600. Now, these suits that they gave, these changes of clothes, these were designer suits. I called it $1,000 each. I, was, I could not believe it. If you type in a designer suit, some of these suits online are $3,900. Some of them, 39 just the jacket. $3,900. Can you believe that? I thought about saying something, but I'm not going to say it. <laughs> There's a lot of sermons, sermon material I leave on the floor anyway. Bottom line, Gehazi took the gifts worth, what, 23000 And he felt pretty pious. I didn't even ask for the gold. I mean, he was going to give it anyway. He's going to give all of it. So lie number three, when he... He got back from stashing at his house. I don't know where they hid it. Wouldn't you love to know where he hid it at his house? Was it in the wall, under the ground like Aiken? Was it in a closet? I'd love to know where he hid that stuff. I mean, 75 pounds of silver. That's a lot of silver. Gehazi, where you been? Oh, nowhere. Just wandering around behind the barn, not doing anything. Gehazi just come from his house hiding the silver and clothing Naaman gave him. Again, we don't know where, maybe a secret hiding spot in the wall. Greedy Gehazi and his servant carried all that silver. And then they went to Gehazi's house. And after stashing him in a hiding place, by the way, each talent was 75 pounds. Two talents, 150 pounds. You ever walked in a gym trying to pick up one of those 100-pound weights that they put on the barbells? It's like your fingernails aren't strong enough to lift it up. How do they get that thing up there? Much less do that, how to get it up off the ground. We're talking 150 pounds of silver. This was pure silver, expensive stuff. And Gehazi went back, no big deal at all. Just another beautiful day in the neighborhood. But Elisha knew what happened. He knew where he'd been. He knew what he had done. Where you been, Gehazi? Oh, nowhere, nowhere. One of the videos our grandson loves it's called, Who Took the Cookie from the Cookie Jar? Any of y'all have grandkids that watch simple songs? Oh, you got any grand, grandparents that watch simple songs with their grandkids? Okay, good. The, one of them that Jacob really loves, it starts out with a seahorse. He's going by and he sees a cookie jar that's empty. And uh, dolphin, starfish, walrus, crab, octopus, they all <gasps> notice the cookie jar is empty. Nothing but a couple crumbs. And so they all sing in this song, Who Took the Cookie from the Cookie Jar? And one by one, they each accuse the other of taking the cookie. Seahorse took the cookie from the cookie jar. And the seahorse says, Who, me? And the other says, Yes, you. Seahorse says, Not me. And they all sing again. Then who took the cookie from the cookie jar? And seahorse said, Crab took the cookie from the cookie jar. Crab says, Who, me? And they say, Yes, yes, you. Not me. Then who took the cookie? And they go around the whole circle. Finally, they get to the octopus. 
who took the cookie from the cookie jar. He says, who, me? And they say, yes, you. And finally, he says, uh, he got seven hands out, seven tentacles, and finally there's one tentacle back here. And he comes out, and he's got this big old chocolate chip cookie. He says, I, you got me. I took the cookie from the cookie jar, the yummy, yummy cookie from the cookie jar. Are you hungry? And they say, uh-huh, let's share. I'm here to tell you in real life, that's not what he's going to say. He's going to say, y'all mind your own business. You weren't eating it. And so they all take a bite of the cookie, out of the cookie jar. Now, the first time I saw that, I don't know if I told Jamie or I just thought it. You know, sometimes I think I tell her I didn't th tell her, I just think. I thought, that's not Old Testament. Old Testament, you had to make restitution when you stole something. And that was a lot more than what you stole, a fifth part. What is that, 20%? And if you're David that said pay fourfold, you're going to pay fourfold. So the octopus lied by acting like he didn't know anything about the stolen cookie. And then... He didn't make restitution for what he stole. Now, that's exactly like Gehazi. He wasn't just a thief. He was a liar. And he lied to Naaman at least twice. And he lied to Elisha at least twice. And that's where greed leads, to lying and pretense. But oh, what a tangled web we weave when we practice to deceive. Greed will tantalize you and promise you things it can never deliver. Greed says, well, if you have this, if you finally get this, if you finally own that and achieve this, then you'll be happy and your life will be content. But once you get it by selfish means, Solomon realized, vanity, vanity, saith the preacher, all is vanity, it make him any happier. Greek mythology says, Greek mythology is not Bible, it's just make-believe, okay? But Greek mythology says that the chief god Zeus had a son with whom he was very displeased, and the king's son's name was Tantalus. And this mythological story goes that Tantalus revealed some of Zeus's secrets. So as punishment, Tantalus was condemned to stand in clear water, and every time he would stoop to take a drink of the clear water, the water would receive and he couldn't get any water. And then Tantalus was forced to stand under fruit trees with amazing fruit on these vines, and he would reach up to grab a piece of fruit, and it would it'd go up in the sky and he couldn't grab it. And so for all eternity, food and drink were just an arm's length away that he could never receive. And from this mythological story of Tantalus, we get our English verb, tantalize. That's right. How descriptive of tantalized people for whom life's satisfaction is always just a little bit out of reach. They just can't quite get it. They never have a large enough house never have a nice enough car, never have this, never have that, never get this, never have that. And so they're never fulfilled. They're never content with what they have. And all throughout their lives, they are tantalized. Gehazi was tantalized by the silver and the clothing. He wanted some of it. He wanted it. But friends, it's dangerous because greed puts you on a downhill path, a downhill path. From pondering what I don't have to pretending and lying to get it? Number three, the punishment for your actions. Greed has a price tag. Punishment 26 and 27. Elisha said to Gehazi, Did not my heart go with you when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? 
Is it a time to receive money, receive clothes, olive groves and vineyards and sheep and oxen and male and female servants? Should we be taking money for this? Therefore, the leprosy that Naaman shall had shall cleave to you and your descendants forever. Ooh. So he went out from his presence, a leper as white as snow. God revealed Gehazi's whereabouts to Elisha. And so Elisha said, where you been? He said, nowhere. He cut to the chase. He said, man, is it time to receive money and clothes and material things? Is it time to tell others and communicate that the gifts of God can be sold and bought? And the obvious answer was no, it's never good to do that. Gehazi had not robbed Naaman or Elisha. In perverting the picture of God's grace, Gehazi had robbed God. Therefore, Naaman's leprosy was removed from Naaman and transferred to Gehazi. And suddenly, Gehazi's skin was white, and his hair and his eyebrows started falling out. His fingers and toes began to rot off, and he began to die a rotting death. As Naaman had been, now Gehazi was. And here's the sad part. Greed would now affect Gehazi's descendants forever. This was the punishment for greed. It was serious. It was terribly dreadful, deadly, and it led to hopelessness. Hopelessness. That's where greed leads, to hopelessness. It puts you on that treadmill that you can never enjoy life. Max Lucado told what he said was a true story about two paddle boats in his book, In the Eye of the Storm. And here's the way the story he said is a true story goes. He said, once there were two paddle boats that left Memphis, Tennessee about the same time, and they were traveling down the Mississippi heading to New Orleans. Well, they were going together, but sailors from one vessel soon yelled out remarks to those in the other about how slow they were going, their snail's pace. Before you know it, words were exchanged. Before you know it, the race was on. Competition became vicious as the two paddle boats roared down the Mississippi racing. One paddle boat began to fall behind because they did not take enough coal. They had enough coal to make the trip, but not enough coal to race. As that paddle boat dropped further and further behind, an enterprising young sailor had an idea that he would take some of the ship's cargo and toss it in the ovens and burn it like coal. When the sailor saw the supplies burned even hotter than coal, well, he continued to put more cargo in the fire and more and more and more cargo they were paid to transport. Well, don't you know to the surprise of the other paddle boat, the other boat that had fallen so far behind suddenly went roaring past them, went right by them, and won the race, won the race. Problem was they'd burned all their cargo in the process, that for which they were paid to transport, they'd burned. This, dear friend, is a picture of greed. It moves us to climb the ladder of success, to get more and nicer and bigger and better and more and more and more and faster and faster. But often it does so at the expense of our family members and our friends and our church attendance. I won't let that one sink in. You're here, so we're okay. But our church attendance can suffer because of greed and spiritual warfare. Once again, God said, He that loves silver shall not be satisfied with silver. 
He that loves abundance will not be satisfied with its increase. Paul told Timothy, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, which while some have coveted after, have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, woman of God, flee these things. Flee these things. Gehazi learned a costly lesson, and that is the consequences of greed are very deadly. If you find yourself totally consumed with always having it, but you just can't seem to get it, maybe it's because it doesn't really exist. Beware of greed. Greed destroys marriages. Greed destroys families. Greed destroys church attendance and service. And greed destroys lives. Gehazi's greed affected him and his descendants for the rest of their lives. It affected his family. It affected his children for the rest of their lives. Here's the bottom line. It'll affect us that way as well. Don't burn your cargo. Don't burn what's precious. That extra bit of silver you get is not worth it. The extra clothing, nice stuff is not worth it. As a Christian, set things in priority. And that greed, when it starts to gnaw at your heart, let it go. Let it go. Let it disappear. Let it be gone. Prioritize what matters. Let go what doesn't. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that the warning we've heard today from the true narrative and story of Gehazi would challenge us to make sure we always take inventory of our motives and our level of spiritual contentment and service. And God, help us to not miss the priorities of what matters in time and eternity. Lord, I pray for no one watching this morning, no one in our modern service. No one in this building, God, that's, that church would be the last rung on the ladder of importance. If there's nothing else, then, well, church. But, God, church would be the absolute priority. Your things, as we heard the choir wonderfully sing, that we would seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness so that all the other things can be added in due time. Help us, Lord, to get our priorities right, our priorities straight. I pray for marriages that might be suffering today, Lord. You'll help them to restore things, put things in order. Lord, for others that are having issues and problems, you'll bless them. Lord, I pray that in everything that Jesus would have first place. That's my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. 282, Living for Jesus. We're going to stand and sing. If you're here this morning and you're not 100% sure you've You've been saved. Being saved is not just a matter of giving intellectual assent that God exists and that Jesus died on the cross. James 2.19 says even the devils believe and tremble. They believe that. It's a matter of are you a follower of Christ? Are you his fully devoted follower today? Are you? If you're here this morning and you've been saved but you've never made it public by baptism, baptism, though, cannot save you, it's important that you let others know you've been baptized. It's important. And maybe you're here this morning and you don't have a church home. Your membership is somewhere else and you're sensing maybe God wants you to be a member at Scott Lake. As we have the invitation, 282, 
Hope you'll come. Do what God wants you to do, whether you respond publicly or respond in your heart. Make the commitment God wants you to make. Let's stand and sing. I'll wait for you if you need to come. 282. Him. I hope it's your prayer today. As I always say, I hang around after the service. If you need to speak with me about a decision, something in your heart, in your life, uh, be happy to talk to you at your invitation. But I'll wait for you after the service, all right? I go back and speak to folks as they're leaving, but just let me know. Preacher, I need to talk to you about something. I'll say, yes, indeed, absolutely. Tonight, I'll be continuing in uh, 2 Kings. We'll talk about chapter 6, three facts about divine power. And so I hope to see you back tonight as they were building a new uh, housing for the seminary students. One of them had an axe hand or the axe head that went in the water. And what happened? Well, I'll give you the hint. They didn't go to Home Depot. So come back tonight, all right? Tonight at 6.30. Very good. Brother Wayne, thank you for praying that God will bless the offering. And those who give, thank you for praying. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the pastor's message today <clears throat> and that we take it to heart, Lord. And Lord, we thank you for the youth of this church uh, in this demonstration this morning of all they do. Uh, it, it, they are the future of this church, Lord, and we thank you so much for them. And Lord, we ask you to bless these, these gifts, these tithes and offering, and bless the givers, Lord, that we all become and use this money and become world changers. And we say this in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.